Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. How many of you uh, realize that we're only three weeks away from Easter? Isn't that crazy? So this week and the next uh, couple weeks, we're going to be unpacking what happened, what really happened at the cross. And uh, so I'm excited about that. How many of you know not just one thing happened at the cross? There's a whole lot of stuff going on. And as uh, I've been preparing for this, I'm thinking, man, how in the world do you ever get a grasp on all that God has done for us at the cross? And so, you know, we'll just start today with how did Jesus understand his own death. Have you ever thought about that? Did, did Jesus have a theology of the cross? Did he, other than, you know, early on, he, he, he knew that he was gonna go to the cross and he shared with all of his uh, closest inner circle uh, that he would die on the cross. I mean, he, he said, he was very specific. He said, I'm gonna be rejected. I'm gonna be betrayed, be turned over to the Gentiles, will be scourged, will uh, endure that brutal Roman, just vicious execution called crucifixion that was for runaway slaves and rebels and for insurrectionists and, and um, traitors. Jesus had, had given clues, but did Jesus really ever know what, was, what the meaning of the cross was? Did he have a theology? I, I want to say absolutely yes. Jesus unpacks some of that. And so we're gonna be looking in John chapter 12 today. So if you have your Bibles, you might follow along. We'll have it on our overhead. And uh, let's, let's hold off on this. I'm gonna tell a little bit and then we'll join in on uh, verse 27 in just a second here. This is uh, kind of a little bit of setting here. This is the last week of Jesus's life, somewhere between um, the Palm Sunday and Good Friday. And uh, the city of Jerusalem is just packed with people. They're everywhere. They're flowing in to the largest, the greatest uh, festival of the Jewish people, Passover. And uh, one of the things that as you're studying the cross, there's, there's something special about why Jesus chose to become the atonement, the at-one-month for us during Passover. It's a new Passover. And so uh, that, that's exciting. So you've got Jews, you've got proselytes, you've got... Um, God-fearing Gentiles, people that are there. And uh, in verse 20 of chapter 12, uh, we're introduced to this group of Greeks and they want to have a conversation with Jesus. They wanna have a meeting with Jesus. And so they end up going to one of his disciples, Philip. Philip is a Greek name. Probably Philip had a Greek daddy, a Jewish mama. He's from Bethsaida, the scripture says. And so they said, can you arrange a meeting with Jesus? And so Jesus agrees to meet with them. Now, I wanna say this, it's important because Jesus' mission up until this point had been primarily to the Jewish people. But Jesus is beginning to include the Gentiles because what is getting ready to happen is for all of humanity. It, it, it's big. The kingdom of God is invading earth in a way that it was unprecedented at that time. And so Jesus is meeting there with them and, 
in uh, verses 23 and 24, it says, Jesus replied, and I don't know if he was talking directly to the Greeks or to what audience, but listen, here's what he says. He says, he replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Why did he say glorified and not crucified? Glorified means the manifest presence of God. Jesus is saying, the time has come the Kairos time has come. A moment in time where everything will change is happening where the Son of God will manifest what God really looks like. He's saying that's, that's what the crucifixion is all about. It's what God really looks like, and it's also the meaning behind crucifixion. So he continues on, he says, very truly, I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, if it dies, somebody say, if it dies. If it dies, it produces many other seeds. You know, in, in Hebrews, Jesus talks about, it talks about how Jesus was crowned with Glory, there it is, he's glorified. He's crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death, death for everyone, bringing sons and daughters to glory. He's saying, listen, unless that grain goes in the seed and dies, the glory will not be spread out everywhere. He's saying, listen, the, the mission that is before me cannot be accomplished unless I die. So I bet he had everybody's attention, don't you think? It got quiet in here, you, I got your attention. And so people were listening, they're thinking, okay, all right, Jesus. Now let's, let's kind of join the conversation in verse 27. In verse 27, Jesus says, my soul is troubled, deeply perplexed. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. How many of you say, you get in a bind, you're going, help, help me, save me from this hour. He says, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. The culmination of my destiny is this hour. How many of you know when you're in the pinch, the grind, the crisis, it could be for that very moment, it could be the culmination of your destiny and purpose. God's got you there. He says, no, it's not for this. He says, no, rather, Father, glorify your name. Can I say there, there's two choices that we have, two responses when we find ourselves in a pre-crucifixion mode. One is, God, just get me out of this thing. I'm gonna run, I'm gonna get out of this thing. Or to say, no, God, what is it that you want to do in me that will manifest your presence? That, that's what's going on here. And so Jesus is having this conversation. It says, then, God's getting ready to, to weigh in. Then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said, well, some said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to them. Jesus said, how many of you know, it really doesn't matter what the angels think or what people think. Jesus is what matters. Verse 30 said, the voice 
was for your benefit, not mine. Now, the time for judgment on this world, now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. The last couple verses there is what I want us to focus on this morning. Jesus is saying, listen, there's three things that are the meaning behind the cross. The first thing is that the cross brings judgment upon the world. The cross judges the world systems, the way the world does things. The cross is the kingdom of God invading earth saying, listen, there's another way to do life than the way the world does life. That's the first thing that the cross does. That's what the cross means. That's what the cross accomplished to Jesus. The second thing is that the cross drives out Satan. It drives out the prince of this world. It drives out the ruler of the fallen world. You might think, what, how does the cross do that? That's what we're going to talk about. And the third thing is that the cross draws all people to Jesus. Those are the three things that Jesus understood about the cross. Let's unpack those together, if you will. Now, the time is now for these three things. Jesus said, as I am being crucified on the cross you're going to encounter God's judgment on the world. Some of y'all are thinking, oh, I knew it. All this pandemic stuff, all this stuff going to get ready to happen, the judgment on the world. Well, just listen a little bit. That's not what he's talking about. He says, listen, I'm going to judge the way the world does things, the world systems. That word world is cosmos. This is a cosmic judgment against the way man was created to function but is no longer functioning. The cross is the reset. The cross is the restoration button. The cross is, this is God's purpose and plan for us. And so he says, see, see from the very beginning of world civilization, the world has been arranged by two things, religion and politics. Everybody say religion, religion. and politics. Sacrifice and power. And Jesus says the cross is coming to judge those two things that are out of whack with the kingdom of God. How many realize that the cross is a whole lot about the kingdom of God coming to planet earth and reestablishing things the way God intended for them to be? See, I always kind of got figured out, well, what's Jesus talking about the kingdom of God? But then he goes and he dies and there's all these atonement theories and all the. Can I tell you, it's, it's the same message. Jesus says, I've come to straighten things out and to restore humanity back to their calling, to their purposes. And so he says, okay, specifically sacrifice and power, both of which required and involved killing. Are you with me? Now, let's go back to kind of the very beginning. The Bible tells a story like this. Cain was the first son of Adam and Eve. And he blamed and then asserted his power over his brother Abel by killing him. 
You remember the story? And then he went and he founded the first city. Do you realize that? Why is the Bible telling us this? I think it's to help us understand where our civilization came from. Have you ever thought about that? The ways of mankind, the ways of humanity, where civilization came from. So it came from one brother blaming another brother. So follow that word blame. There's a lot of blaming going on in scripture, okay? It's the wrong side of the cross, but it's happening a lot. The blame, you know where blame comes from? You know the source of blame? You probably do. You don't, you don't acknowledge it while you're doing it though. The one brother blames the other brother. Then being willing to sacrifice him using his superior power to kill him, he then begins to lie to himself about it. And then he founds the first city. So that's the, our, our arrangement. That's how we got our beginnings. Now, something about the cross is going to judge all of that. Are you with me? Some of the things that we hold near and dear, cherish, the cross is getting ready to judge that. And so, remember Jesus was condemned by uh, two different men. He had two different trials. You remember that? Am I the only one who remembers that? Okay. It's, it, there's two different trials. And so, both of the men who condemned him represent huge institutions of humanity. The first one was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the Jewish high priest, and so he represented religion. Everybody say religion, okay? He, he, he represented religion at its highest pinnacle of the day, okay? Now, the other one who judged Jesus was Pontius Pilate. Now, what did Pontius Pilate represent? Politics, government, imperial Roman government, the most powerful empire the world had ever known up until that point, right? And so he's going to face two different trials. So he goes to Caiaphas. Well, first of all, let's remember who Jesus is, okay? Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is love in flesh and blood. Jesus is the son, the glory of God, the word made flesh, the exact representation of who, of God's being, the life and the light of the world. I mean, that's who Jesus is, right? He's the word, he's the logos, the logic of God. And so Jesus goes into the first trial with Caiaphas and Caiaphas judges him based on religious criterion, right? And so he was found guilty, condemned to death. What was he found guilty of? Blasphemy, blasphemy. What, what, why was he condemned to blasphemy? Because he was claiming to be God. You wanna die, it's a good way to die. You want to upset religion? you begin to get too close to the inner workings of Jesus and God. And so the next trial is held by a institution of even greater power than religion. See, if Caiaphas would have had his way, he would have had Jesus stoned, 
right? Because that was the mode of execution of the uh, Jewish uh, religion. But he couldn't do it. So he goes to the next court and it is a pilot. And so Pilate is not interested in religion. He, his criterion is the Roman law, okay? And so Pilate convicts Jesus of what? Of treason. He's claiming to be a king. And so that's, that's what Pilate, Pilate wrestled with this. You know, he, he walked, he's trying to figure it all out, but he condemns Jesus to death by crucifixion. So Jesus is doubly condemned. Can I tell you, that's what our world systems does. If you try to make sense out of the heart of God, apart from the kingdom of God, here's what you'll get. And so both of these guys, they uh, take Jesus, they strip him naked, they put him to shame, they crucify him, and they bury him. And that would have been the end of it. You know, on the, on the one hand, this has never happened before because Jesus is God. But on the other hand, it happened all the time. People were being crucified by the thousands. Nothing new. You know, it's the same thing that's been happening since Cain killed Abel. See, the, the thing about it is the way of the world is the way of scapegoating. You know, we, we learned it on the, the playground as kids. You know, we just blame somebody. We put all the blame on this person. You know, you know what scapegoating does? It turns enemies into friends. Listen to this. In, in Luke uh, 23, 13, it says, the day, which was the day of the crucifixion of Jesus, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Huh? See, see scape, scapegoating buddies. They had something in common, right? And, and their idea was, we're gonna preserve the peace of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's going crazy. This Jesus guy is making things go crazy. Let's preserve the peace. And a lot of times, scapegoating for the momentary, for the moment, temporarily, looks like a good idea. And so they're scapegoating. They're, let's put the blame here we go again. Let's put the blame on Jesus. You ever blame God? Don't raise, don't raise your hand. <laughs> See, if something remarkable had not happened, it'd been just one more of a number of crucifixions and the world would have been the same. But can I tell you something remarkable happened, something unprecedented, something unparalleled, See, a higher court, a higher court, the court of heaven overruled the courts of this world. See, see, God Almighty said, wrong, Herod, wrong, Caiaphas, wrong, Pilate. The kingdom of God came in overthrew and the one who had been stripped naked, the one who had been beaten, the one who had been humiliated on the cross and buried, came out of the grave and was resurrected. God said, listen. He said, my, my plan's totally different than yours because the ways of the kingdom must overthrow the ways of this world. 
And so that's one of the things Jesus says, that's what's going on at the cross. God is judging. You know what judge means? It means to make things right. He's bringing justice. He's making things right. He's restoring us back to his purposes. He's bringing glory by manifesting his presence, by showing his love in Jesus for us. See, what does all this mean that Jesus didn't say, stay dead, that the superior court overruled? Well, I'm glad you asked. It means that the principalities, the principal rulers of the day that Jesus had said would crucify him were brought out into the light. It means that sacrificial religion and political power were put to shame. See, see what was cast upon the scapegoat Jesus bounced back after the resurrection, and it landed square on religion and politics. Now, Paul, Paul got this. Let's, let's take a look at Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two. Look what Paul writes. The first, the first couple verses here are for us as individuals. He's saying this is what is going on on the cross. And he says, when you were dead in your sins, you're part of this crazy way of the world. You're totally missing the mark of God's glory and purposes, his manifest presence. And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. We'll talk about this later about how at the cross, we were co-crucified with Christ and we were co-resurrected and made alive with Christ. There's a restoration going on, but he continues on. He says, he forgave us our sins. Remember that word, forgive. It's major. We're going to get there. He forgave us our sins. He, he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Man, we couldn't keep the law, the old covenant. It was just over. There's no way. There's, it was dead. It kills. There's no life in it. And he says, he took it and went, Boom, boom, boom. He nailed it to the cross. He said, no more. The old covenant is dead, dead, dead. The new covenant is being established in Jesus. Now look at the next verse though. He said, verse 15, he says, in having disarmed powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. See, see the things that were exposed in the natural, Caiaphas just represented religion. Pilate just represented powerful politics. He said, those things were disarmed. Their power, their energy was taken away from them. He said, and the very things that Jesus did to them was, that they did to Jesus was done to them. A public spectacle was made of them. And Jesus, the King of Kings, triumphed over them at the cross. Now, I mean, you know, I won't go into a whole lot of it, but the, the via triumphal list, that, that is the, the way of triumph. Everybody would have known exactly what Paul was writing about. When a king conquered another king or another uh, chief or general, he would come in on a chariot with, led by white horses. And there was a big parade and everybody was a triumph. 
But behind him was shamed, beat up, scourged, the, the, either the chief or the generals or the king behind the chariot. I mean, he's coming in and he's saying, that's what Jesus did on the cross. The things that it appeared were being done to Jesus bounced back on the authorities and rulers. But can I say, the next thing he says is, that happens on the cross is, that the cross drove out Satan, the Hasatan, the accuser, the blamer, okay? Are you, are you, we're coming back to blaming again. The blamer, the prince of this world, he said, he's driven out. What's he saying? The very source of these principalities and powers is driven out by the forgiveness of God. Because it's so contrary to the ways of the world. It's so contrary to the knowledge of good and evil. See, see, all this stuff takes us back to the garden. There are two trees. Tree of life, absolute dependence, abiding relationship with the King Jesus. Or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which ends up getting you religion and politics, right? And reasoning, trying to figure it out, man's best ideas. And so what is going on here? The cross has disarmed the devil. For this purpose, Jesus was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. And Satan is driven away. See, humanity went wrong when Adam and Eve listened to the serpent. The serpent is the personification of the devil, of Satan. And so they listened to the, 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 uh, the serpent and they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and you know what the fruit of that was? Pride and blaming. Everybody say pride and blaming. Some of y'all were too proud to say pride. Say pride. Pride and blaming, right? I mean, it's common to all of us, right? What does the scripture say? God resists the proud. He opposes. He becomes the opponent of the proud. And yet, what is our society, the fabric of the, the way the world's, it's got to be judged because it keeps us separate, it keeps us at distance from God in our own minds, in our own hearts. And so, the fruit of the tree of knowledge is going to be pride and blame. See, Satan flees. Satan is driven out by two things. Humility, which is the opposite of pride, and forgiveness. See, see you, want, you want to make Satan tremble? Let me, let me, let me say it this way. I'm going to give you a secret. You want a secret? Where the Father says, where, where, where Father forgive them, replaces, God avenge me, Satan is driven out. Let me say it again. Where, where Father forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, replaces, God avenge me, Satan flees. 
See, forgiveness is the grace that the enemy can't stand. It caused him to leave the room. It caused him to think. At that cross, whenever the law was being nailed to the tree and forgiveness was being released and there was disarming of principalities and they're, they're exposed for who they really are, the enemy fled. Yeah, the people, the Caiaphases and the, the Pilots and the Herods and those guys were exposed. But can I tell you what? They were just front men from the prince of this world from the Hasatan, okay? And so, so that's what's going on here. You know, if we were to refuse to play the blame game, I think the Satan would have to flee, right? If we would get over ourselves and be able to release people and forgive them, I think we would disarm the enemy. See, at the cross, blame and shame were replaced by acceptance and grace. See, at the cross, power expressing itself in violence was replaced by love expressing itself in forgiveness. We say that again. At the cross, power expressing itself in violence was replaced by love expressing itself in forgiveness. At the cross, the kingdoms of this world were replaced by the kingdom of God. Now, the third thing that happens at the cross, and there's many, many other things, it says, if I be lifted up, what is that? That's a euphemism for the crucifixion. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all people to myself. What is Jesus saying? He's saying this act on the cross, this accomplished work on the cross is not a Jewish thing per se. It's not for an in-group, an elitist group, an exclusive group. He's saying it's for all people. He said, I'm inviting everyone in. For God so loved a few good Christians. No, it don't say that. He loved the world, the cosmos. He gave Jesus. He sent Jesus. And so, no exclusivity. Colossians, or first, Second Corinthians 5, 19, you knew I'd say it at some point. God was in Christ, reconciling the entire cosmos to himself, not counting man's sins against him. That's what's going on at the cross. The cross demonstrates that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life for all people. Now, I don't know how to land this thing, but I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> Humility and forgiveness drive Satan out. But receiving the new covenant replaces life in the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of God. See, what's going on here is it's not enough to, to say, the devil's been run out of town. What we need is a covenant with God that says this is how we live in relationship. Rules and regulations won't cut it. The old covenant won't cut it. But a relationship with Jesus Christ based on trust and forgiveness will. And that's what's going on. This I'm gonna call all men. I'm gonna draw all men and all women to myself. That's what's happening. 
So my question to you this morning is, have you received Jesus by humility and faith? That's it. That's it. Have you said yes to Jesus? I want your restoration for my life. I can't do this. God, if you don't come through, I ain't gonna make it. Those are the ones who qualify for the kingdom of God. Can you say that? God, if you don't come through, I'm not gonna make it, okay? That's called repentance. That's called seeing your life as it really is and turning to God and saying, Oh, God, I need a shift in the way I think. I've been thinking like the way of this world. I need a kingdom mind shift and I acknowledge you are king. You are savior and you are Lord. That's what it is. It's saying, I acknowledge the truth of what you did for me on the cross. And I receive that. But it's more than that. It's, it's stepping into it. I love, I love how scripture makes it more than just a belief in your head. It's an embrace. It's an embrace saying, I'm gonna step into water and I'm gonna bury my old man and I'm gonna come out in new life with Jesus. It's having a meal together where we say, I'm gonna take in, I'm gonna remember what Jesus did, that sacred moment on the cross and I'm gonna receive him in. I'm, I'm gonna have a meal. I'm gonna take him in. You know, you know I wanna embrace him. It's words like embrace. You know, it's not like, well, you know, I, I said a prayer, I, I believe him. You say, no, Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you in the ways of your new covenant forever. It begins now. And that's, that's what we're talking about. I wanna ask everyone to stand up and we're gonna take the covenant meal, the new covenant meal I mean, something, this is, again, substantive stuff, tangible commitment. I belong, I embrace, I participate. And if you've got your little cup, I want you to take it out, okay? But I wanna ask a question first. Have you said yes to Jesus? Hmm? If, if you've never said yes to Jesus, but this morning, you say, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus and make him Lord, make him Savior, make him Lord. He's already Savior and Lord. You just need to make him your Savior and Lord. You say, say I, raise your cup. If, you, if you've never done that, say, I wanna do that today. Raise your hand, okay? You've never, you've never said yes to Jesus, but you want to today. I want you to raise your cup, okay? I'm gonna trust for family and I want to take, I want to, I want to give you some scripture here real quick. Let's, let's uh, go to Luke 22. Luke 22. This is what Jesus said. He said, when the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this, divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now go to the next verse. He says, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. So I confer on you a kingdom just as my father 
conferred on me. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is, is getting ready to take the third cup and he's gonna give even further explanation. He says, this is about the confirmation, the conferring of the kingdom of God upon us. Our participation, our embrace, our living out a new covenant life. And we'll talk about that more in the coming days. So give me the last verse here. He took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. I want you just to take out the, the bread. And he gave it to him and he said, this is my body given for you. And I want you just to, to take it and to break it. He said, this is my body. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you just to take the body of Jesus. And he's saying to us, not only do you take it in, you savor it, you take me in, but you are the embodiment of Christ. You carry the good news of the kingdom of God. You carry the good news of freedom and forgiveness. You carry the good news that the Satan has been dispelled. In the last verse, it's in the same way he took the cup. Just open it up. He says, this cup, listen to this. It's the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, he said this just hours before the act took place. What was an act of faith for them before it happened for us today is an act of victory. It's remembering what Jesus has done and our involvement and participation in that. So Lord, we receive the new covenant blood of Jesus and we say thank you, God. We say thank you, God, that your kingdom has come. We say thank you that the enemy has been defeated and we say, we say thank you that people are gonna be coming into your kingdom because you were lifted up. So Lord, we do, we pray that again, Lord. For our friends, our neighbors, for those, anyone in this room who has not said yes to Jesus. And we say thank you.